Thank you so much for joining us. Look at you enriching your lives with some pot smoking moms. I am one of your hosts, Sunny D, and alongside to my left is Captain J. What's up? Hello, everybody. Uh, we have a special guest today. We're really, really excited uh, because we're talking to Dr. Michael McKenzie. He's a board certified family physician with special interest in cannabinoid medicine. Welcome, Dr. Mike. Glad to be here. I'm so um, glad to be on your show for the first time. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. I, I have a, a feeling we're going to get, uh, you're going to drop a lot of knowledge for not only us, but um, our listeners and our other moms and parents. So thank you. Yeah, um, super excited. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome so much. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, we are the Pot Smoking Moms. We're at Pot Smoking Moms. Um, we also have a TikTok, and you can also send us an email if you can't see that. Um, we are doing another virtual session. I feel like this is going to be the new norm, right? Kind of for right now. This is our new format. We're talking about how much we missed microphones and stuff, right, Captain J? Yes. I miss mostly getting together yeah. and just seeing your face in life, in real life. I know, I know. And us taking forever and having conversations prior to getting started, right? Yeah. <laughs> Talking shit for like two hours before we get started. Yeah, just decompressing. Uh, how was your week this week? I mean, it's been, it was much better because I didn't have homeschooling since it's spring break. So it was just working from home. So that meant actually now enjoy it it was much more pleasurable it's nice that as soon as it hits 5 p.m and i'm done i just close my laptop and i'm home already <laughs> i can just go to the room back room and smoke a bowl um immediately <laughs> but i gotta say yeah i've just been trying to avoid the news because being cooped up in the house and hearing the same shit over and over and over again it's just my anxiety levels like and on friday when they sent that that public safety alert to our cell phones kind of like how the amber alerts go out when there's a yeah. missing child my anxiety level like peaked i'm like okay this shit's like i got one was saying the same shit they've been telling us to just stay home but it still made me more nervous that they did that and then i heard on the news the next day that they did it by accident that they sent the alert by accident I'm like, man, you know, they're just making everything I crazy. I know. And then the news, everything's in red and blood red. Everything's like, yeah. And it's just kind of, it's overwhelming. It's it very is. overwhelming. It is. If, I mean, and then just trying to get creative, trying to get my kid outside because he doesn't ever want to go anywhere, you know, like in the backyard to play. He just wants to be inside on video games. And I'm like, no, go out. Side. You need some vitamin D. You need some sunlight. You need some fresh air. Stop being inside all day. So yeah, that's been my week. Yeah, pretty much same here. I um, I just kind of have to shut it down a little bit and and get out of my head because sometimes you you're in your head about it. Last weekend was rough for me, but I'm doing a whole lot better. But it's like you get into your head about it, and it's like just all of these. The news reports, it's just fear-inducing. It's like, you know, it's you get panic attacks and then you're like, oh my God, am I short of breath because I smoked a bowl or am I short of breath because 
you know, I'm what Corona, Corona time. <laughs> and what kills me is that on the news um, channels, do they have to resort to these overly dramatic graphics? I look at these graphics and I can, these, these are the most anxiety inducing graphics that they're using. I mean, nobody has any sense of tone it down. With the anxious public, do you have to have such a dramatic graphic? I mean, have you guys noticed that? Yeah, yeah the graphic and, and the tone, the tone that they use, everything's like so over the top dramatic. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to make a TikTok where it was like a reporter, news reporter, uh, telling people, oh, you guys shouldn't panic, shouldn't panic, and then turn around and do one of those teasers to a report where it's like, oh, uh, stay tuned because we're going to tell you three secrets you don't know about what you're doing that might give you corona. And you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> you should. That sounds like a good one. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of have to shut it off, you know, and just, are you- How about you, Dr. Mike? Do you have, I mean, you're a physician, so you have to go to work every day, so, yes. correct? Your doctor's mm -hmm. office is open? We're still, we're still seeing a full load of patients. Um, you know, 90% of what I do is bread and butter primary care. Um, so we still have a lot of people with chronic conditions that still need follow-up and treatment, as well as a lot of new patients that we're seeing. Um, that, you know, just got on a new insurance plan. They want their physical. So, you know, routine stuff still continues. Have you seen that but, slow down a little bit? Like, because people just don't want to go into the doctor because they're worried about contracting something? Yeah, especially if they're in a high-risk group. You know, like, for example, that elderly grandma with COPD uh, or a person that's on an immune-suppressing uh, agent for chronic disease. Um, those people, yeah, they're concerned. But what we do is we offer them telemedicine visit. So on our electronic medical records program, we have a telemedicine function where we can do face-to-face -face video with the patient as mm -hmm. long as they have a computer at home mm -hmm. with a camera. Or we FaceTime them. Oh, okay. I didn't know FaceTime was an option. I had to do telemedicine the other day because my son was complaining for a couple of days that his ear was hurting. So I tried to make an appointment and they told me telemedicine because everything was happening. I'm like, how can we do an earache appointment through telemedicine? How are they going to look in his ear? Yeah. But what they, they kind of just listened to what was happening, asked him to like touch his ear and asked him if that hurt and all that and just pre prescribed some antibiotics. And mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so we're, we're doing like telemedicine visits for those that are unable to come in. Um, you know, um, also for the Cannabis patients, because of the order of the Surgeon General, were able to do follow-up visits via telemedicine, you know, follow patients only for the next 30 days. Well, that's good. Yeah, I think yeah. the teledoc is uh, also a great function because sometimes, I mean, just the whole, the whole act of going to the doctor and waiting in the office to see a doctor, that could be like taking half of your day versus, you know, Teladoc is a little bit kind of easier. So that's actually a really great option to have, especially now. Yes. Yeah. And um, as we say in family medicine, we provide a lot of what we call vitamin R, reassurance, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, the public is definitely nervous. If they're having a cough, well, it's also allergy season. So mm -hmm. more people coughing. Well, does that mean that the person has corona? 
So they'll call and, you know, we'll reassure them based on their symptoms and their sort of risk category, you know, what they need to do. Yeah, I could only imagine. I was having a conversation with my mom today and I was like, you know, I mean, Corona's not the only thing affecting people right now. People have to go to the doctor for many different things and different ailments. And there's, you can contract and you can get sick off of many different things, not just Corona. So it's like, right. you know. Well, even before this particular season, um, when I would discuss with patients, there are what type of upper respiratory infections that they have. For years, I've also mentioned coronavirus, calcivirus, Norwalk virus, adenovirus, coxsackie virus, hair influenza, influenza A and B, um, as well as RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. The, any one of those viruses you can get and it give you the same cold and flu-like symptoms. Wow. Yeah, because a lot of people think coronavirus is something new that no. they just came out of nowhere. It, right, it's just genetically mutated, um, you know, in the same style that the flu uh, virus mutates. Sometimes it, it does a big mutation, which causes these pandemics. Um, and uh, sometimes it makes minor mutations, which means that, you know, that's why we have a different flu vaccine every year to account for the genetics of most of the strains out there. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But in this case with Corona, it kind of jumped um, species mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, they were cooking, uh, you know, bat soup and cooking this animal called the pangolin, which looks like an armadillo. Right. And uh, apparently it kind of jumped vectors from animal to human. So, okay, so it's true. It was from a bat soup. That's what I kept hearing, and I was like... Yeah. Sopa de musielago. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, like, for example, when we had SARS, that came from this animal called a civet, which is this cat-like creature that roams Asia. And when we had MERS, M-E-R-S, that actually came from camels. In wow. Yeah, animals. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I really hope I I'm doing my share. I mean, I wasn't going out anyways ever because I'm a stay-at-home mom with two little kids. It's hard enough for me to get out of here, so it's like kind of routine. But I mean, it's scary, and I just try to do what I can and stay home and not and be super. I mean, my hands are so dry from how much clean, like hand washing. Right. You know. Mm -hmm. But and also watch out whoever comes into the house or outside. Yeah, exactly. And then it's limit visits. My my husband still has to go to work every day, so mine too. Do you have a routine? Do you like have a routine when you get home? What What do you do? Do you like life saw yourself or like do you guys have any kind of routines like that? Um, I live at home by myself, so it's just me. So um, I just have some hand sanitizer. I have. Plenty of um, bleach and cleaning material. Yeah. Yeah, everybody was going apeshit for cleaning material. And I'm like, do you guys ever clean? Because typically you have that stuff already at your house because you clean your house. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm yeah. planning on cleaning tomorrow. Unless they want to stock up on Fabuloso and resell it at a higher <laughs> price. The yeah. gout. Which, that's insane. But... Anywho, so just to give you guys a little bit of background on Dr. Mike, 
Um, he's in, he's from New York. So I, this is new to me. I didn't know you were originally from New York. How long have you been living here? I've been living in South Florida on and off since 1992. Okay. All right. And then you received your uh, BS in biology. You have an MD uh, degree. Um, and you also completed your residency in family medicine uh, in the University of Oklahoma. Uh, so mm -hmm. basically you do, um, you do you're, you're a family practitioner? Yeah, family medicine uh, physician, um, primary care. That's basically the 90% bread and butter is what I do. Okay, and then um, you, you practice out of Hallandale Medical Center in Hallandale Beach, Florida. So we'll definitely post up your information um, so that way our local listeners know how to, how to get in contact with you. Um, is there a preferred method of contact for you? Like, do you have um, um, some social media that you want to maybe? Um... Um, if they want to um, make an appointment, they can call the office. But if they want to reach me for, like, let's say, a cannabis-related matter, if you have a question or whatever, they can reach you on Facebook. Okay, excellent. We'll post up your information um, under our, our show details. Um, so you were one of the first physicians in Florida to become certified um, to recommend cannabis, cannabinoids? Mm -hmm. Yes, back then they had the old eight-hour course, which we had to pay $1,000 each to take. Uh -huh. And it was a very good course. It was written, partially written by Dr. Jeffrey Block. Dr. Greg Gerdeman also played a role in the course as well. Um, and um, back then, I could only count maybe 50 doctors total in the whole state that were on the list that were seeing patients. Uh-huh. And how many, I mean, there must be tons now. We're just, but there's still people, who, doctors who haven't gotten off. Yeah. The number is a little misleading because um, they'll say, oh, there's 1,500 or 2,000 registered doctors. But the reality is very few of them are even seeing patients. Um, what happened was that many of these individuals got certified but then they were told by their boss because they work for somebody like Cleveland Clinic or um, some other corporate entity that, sorry, we're not comfortable with you doing that. Yeah. You know, and also another portion of them um, got signed up because they thought they were going to be, I don't know, multimillionaires with everybody and their grandmother flocking to their clinic. And they realized that, um, you know, either they weren't prepared to handle the patients or they, their knowledge base may not have been um, as much as they would have liked because the patients, I mean, those are the eight hour course we took. It just gives the base information. It doesn't give enough. Mm -hmm. You need to read more and learn more, go to conferences to get more information. Um, so, so some of the doctors that got into it thought that, oh, well, I'll just say, take this much cannabis, but not, we're not really trying to learn much about the endocannabinoid system. So it got people a lot of, got a lot of people frustrated and certain doctors withdrew. What, what made you, what got you interested in, in pursuing this, uh, part of medicine? Um, I, like many other docs, wind up watching um, that CNN Sanjay Gupta special. Um, um, sister got on board with cannabis after Sanjay Gupta yes. talking about it. Yes. Um, now, I was already familiar with Marinol. I've written for that even when I was a resident. 
for certain elderly, debilitated elderly patients that weren't eating. Um, it didn't, they didn't have to be cancer patients, but we would write for Marinol for them. And so I was already familiar with Marinol, but I did not know nearly a fraction of what I know now when it comes to cannabis. Um, after watching the Sanji Gupta special, I started reading more. And then that was at the same time that Florida kind of passed the CBD-only law, uh, like a Charlotte's Web type of bill wow. uh, back in 2014. And uh, there was getting doctors signed up to be able to write for it. So I jumped the I jumped at the opportunity. Awesome. And you've and so far, what do you I mean, what what are what do you take from it? What have you enjoyed the most out of what you've learned of the cannabis? Um, what I've enjoyed the most is the satisfaction of seeing these patients treated. For example, when you have somebody who used to take Percocets and Moxycontin, you know, literally cut their dose down to either half or nothing. Um, I mean, that's a major triumph. Or that cancer patient that is on a high dose protocol that, A, buys, extra, buys some more extra time and can even improve their malignancy. You know, again, everything I'm saying about cannabis is off-label. Nothing that I'm saying is FDA approval. So when we talk about the therapeutics of cannabinoids, I always have to use a disclaimer that everything I'm saying is off-label. So patients are benefiting from this off-label treatment option. And, um, and then it's, it's so many different uses. And I've seen patients of all ages. My youngest patient is four years old. Um, I first saw her when she was 17 months old. You know, um, she has um, a disease called neurofibromatosis type 1, um, which is um, you get this sort of cafe or lace spot on your abdomen, and you get some little tumors that grow in your body. Well, she has a tumor that grows in her brain, and she has an additional tumor called an optic glioma, which is right on the optic nerve. And, um, you know, I've been treating her since she was 17 months, and she's on a high-dose protocol, again, off-label. Uh, and I have up to 300 milligrams of THC a day, as well as 300 milligrams of CBD a day. And, um, you know, the parents dose her, you know, she sleeps very well. She eats good. She's gained weight. She's at her percentile for her age for weight. Um, she's not as grumpy when she comes to the office. You know, we get MRIs every three months. The tumor has not significant grown. Wow. That's amazing. That's. And then when you say off label, you mean because it hasn't been approved by an FDA. Right. Correct? And and, right. It, and that's because it's classified. Is that why? Or? Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, um, when we talk about the FDA and the drug approval process and all that stuff, what the FDA is used to is single agents, single molecular agents, or groups of approved single molecular agents together. Um, like, for example, if I'm talking about metformin, well, there's only one thing I'm talking about. That's metformin. You might have an extended release version. You might have like a, a thousand milligram version, a 500 milligram version. But at the end of the day, we're talking about metformin. But when we talk about cannabinoids, we're talking about any combinational ratio of cannabinoids, both major and minor, terpenes and flavonoids. You know, terpenes give cannabis a smell. Flavonoids give cannabis its color. You need all three elements together to have the proper what we call entourage effect to get the best therapeutic effect for the patient. 
Okay, so when we talk about cannabis, one of the frustrating things when you read these articles that say, does cannabis do X or does cannabis do Y? Well, we're not talking about one thing called, it's not like we're talking about metformin, which is only one thing. You know, cannabis could be any combination. So I don't know if they got an indica, sativa, hybrid. Um, what's the THC to CBD ratio of mm. this product? Was it sublingual? Was it um, capsule? Was it inhaled? You know, um, and, uh, you know, did they do thoroughly test the item being wrote about? You know, so there's a lot of variables. And um, because of that, um, the FDA uh, is not able to really say, oh, let's approve cannabis because, no, FDA wants to approve individual molecules or individual compounds like Marinol. Mm -hmm. Marinol is nothing but synthesized THC in sesame oil in a capsule. That's all it is. Okay? Um, so because it's a single agent, single molecule, um, that's why FDA approved Marinol in the 1980s. So the fatal flaw that you see when, when you see these articles, these journal articles saying, oh, um, you know, well, cannabis is shown to lower pain in X. But, well, when you say cannabis, what are you talking about? What's uh, ratio of THC, CBD? What's the delivery? What's the terpenes? So I cannot, I have a hard time with these articles that are trying to prove or disprove something as it relates to cannabis, yet they treat it as a single entity, which is wrong. Yeah, there's so many plant aversions, uh, strains, like, and it affects people differently. It, it's it's really hard. You can't label it as one thing. And what was I? I had a thought and I forgot. <laughs> but for the FDA to do an approval process, FDA, they would have to do... Yeah. They would have to piece out each part of the plant or each part of whatever. I mean, it can't be more than one molecule, you said. So they would have to put out things for each separate, each part of the whole plant. They would have to approve each strain, basically, or something like that. Or some proprietary ratio of cannabinoids, terpenes, and flavonoids. But um, because somebody else can say, have the same amount of cannabis and same amount of, uh, I'm sorry, same amount of cannabinoids and maybe the turkey may be a little bit different. Mm. Well, then that's not an exact copy of this FDA approved product. Wouldn't the solution just be to legalize the plant so that it could just be used mm. by anyone? Well, I'm you sorry, my dear, it? but you're using something called common sense, <laughs> <laughs> which ain't too common. Yeah. Okay. Because the problem is there is a whole industry that makes a lot of money based on the prohibition of cannabis. Uh -huh. And, you know, there's an old saying that's attributed to Bill Clinton, but I don't think he said, I don't think he originated this phrase, but it is hard for you and I to agree on what the truth is when the lie is paying your salary. That's my job right there. Okay. And so... For everybody from the ONDCP, the drug czar's office, um, on down to the sheriff's offices, to all these people that represent the addiction industry, all of them have a huge stake in keeping cannabis illegal. So they pay off politicians to keep keep it. Like, right. Out. You know, because um, when you're dealing with this money, okay, remember, 
always, you're fighting against four types of money, okay? First kind of money is old money. That's the pharmaceutical industry, okay? For example, uh, Insys Pharmaceuticals gave $500,000 to the anti-legalization effort in Arizona a few years ago. And um, this is the same company that makes a um, sublingual spray of fentanyl called Subsys. And surprise, surprise, they also made a liquid form of Marinol called Syndros. It's basically liquid THC um, that, they're, that they got FDA approved, by the way. Okay. And also the head of that company recently got busted for illegal kickbacks to paid medicine physicians so, that, so they could write more subsists and other medications. So that's that old money. Okay. Then what you have what's called long money. Long money is the alcohol and beverage industry, okay? They donate generously to anti-legalization efforts because when um, cannabis is consumed, whether it be medical, recreational, whatever, alcohol sales drop. It's true. Let me tell that. And to that point, I have like traces of alcohol in my house because I don't, I don't really drink like that anymore. But now, you know, with quarantine, I was like, man, I, I really, I'd like a nice little drink or something. But I look around and it's like, whatever I have, lay, little, little Robert, uh, my husband was like, oh, here, you could finish this little swig of rum left. Like, we don't have anything because we don't really drink. We don't right. drink. Your husband likes beer, but I'm not a drinker. I always preferred smoking over yeah. drinking. Right. So that's that long money, okay? Then you have what's called big money. Big money is the prison industrial complex and the law enforcement, the sheriff's offices that get a lot of money from civil asset forfeiture. You know, where they can seize your assets, even though you may not have been convicted, they seize your assets if it was potentially related to any kind of narcotic activity. You know, they make a lot of money uh, on um, civil asset forfeiture. They also make a lot of money with the private prisons because these private prisons are exchanged on the stock market. They need to keep their beds filled to keep the stockholders happy. You know, so they have historically also opposed legalization effort. You'll see these sheriff's associations give a press conference, say how they're opposed to it. Oh, because of the kids, because of this, that, and the other, but... Um, no, they're losing money on civil asset forfeiture, you know. Um, and then you have the fourth kind of money, the last category, what are called new money. New money is the rehab industrial complex. This the series of these rehab centers and sober homes um, that, um, in conjunction with law enforcement, you know, they need to keep their beds occupied, okay, because they get money every time somebody occupies a bed in a rehab facility. So the rehab facilities, they partner with law enforcement. So when, let's say you have a 14-year-old child who gets caught with possession, he'll go to this um, drug diversion court um, and go before a judge, and the judge will go, well, Johnny, I'm not going to give you a record. I'm not going to give you a conviction. I'm going to give you a second chance. But you have to admit that you have cannabis use disorder and go to rehab. So this kid doesn't want a felony. So what you'll do is you'll admit to cannabis use disorder, which is a billable diagnosis we have facilities use. Go to rehab, okay, where he does group sessions or uh, individual sessions and uh, 
you know, get his pee tested twice a week, which, by the way, is very expensive. They build the hell out of the insurance companies for these twice a week urine tests. Mm -hmm. There's so much reimbursement on this test that this particular test has a nickname in the industry called liquid gold. You know, mm -hmm. and um, so this kid is not getting any psychiatric uh, uh, history and physical. He's not getting anything. He's just uh, a, a psychologist or mental health counselor. Why does he feel he needs to use cannabis? And does he have uh, other issues at home, this, that, the other? So once he do that and build the insurance company of thousands of dollars, after 45 days, Johnny gets to go. And he has no conviction. So the rehab facility is a revolving door. They keep getting these kids referred by law enforcement or by their families. You have a psychiatric problem called cannabis use disorder that we need to treat and build your insurance company for. You have a problem instead of I'm a kid with a joint. <laughs> right. So with these prohibitionists, this is what I say. If you have a 14-year-old kid that is, let's say, um, just using it one time at a party and then forgets about it, that's one thing. But let's say you have a 14-year-old kid who becomes a habitual user. Like, he is messing up his grades. He is not socializing with his friends anymore. He's kind of disconnected from his family. That kid doesn't need rehab. That kid needs a thorough psychiatric history and physical from a board-certified child psychiatrist. Because this kid, if he's habitually using cannabis, he's trying to treat something. Yeah. Okay. Does he have an anxiety disorder? Does he have a PTSD because he was uh, molested by the bishop or whatever? Does he have a bipolar disorder that kind of brews? Bipolar doesn't just start like boom out the gate. Bipolar brews and stews over the years. Now, if you take in a sativa, a uh, strong sativa without supervision, Yes, that could possibly even trigger a manic phase. But this kid who has a bipolar disorder and anxiety disorder he's trying to treat is using cannabis to treat his disorder. What he needs is a psychiatrist along with therapy and the proper medications. If you give proper access to psychiatric care, you don't have to worry about little Johnny reaching for cannabis or abusing cannabis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. it's. I mean, it all goes back to... Watch the signs and the mental health uh, just needs to be a little bit more, uh, you know, the, more accessible. <clears throat> That's interesting, though. Is everybody's connection okay? Um, okay, you're back. Okay. You're back. Do you guys see me fine? Well, I hear Mike fine. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think we're back because we're getting a yeah. little interruption there. Yeah. You know, so yeah, so mental access to mental health. Yeah. You know, is is important. Now, keep in mind, coverage does not mean access. I don't care how nice of a PPO you think you have, that will guarantee that you have access to proper psychiatric care for your family if you need it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, one of the little secret in the industry is psychiatrists don't contract directly with insurance companies. They contract with these third-party networks. So, for example, Blue Cross doesn't directly contract with psychiatrists. Blue Cross um, uh, uses a third-party organization 
you know, I think it's called New Directions or something like that, mm-hmm. where the psychiatrist is contracting with that network. So when you go on the network directory, try to find a psychiatrist, you may see some people listed, but when you call the office, they deny their, they, they even uh, knew Blue Cross, you know, because these networks don't pay these psychiatrists enough. So they'll get on this list, but when the people call, the psychiatrist office says, sorry, we're, um, we don't take that insurance. We never took that insurance. I don't know why they listed us, you know. Um, so access becomes a huge problem. And if a child with going through something doesn't have the proper access, they're going to self-treat. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you have you, you know, treated anybody like that before in your office? I mean, what, what different kinds of cases have you treated? And have you treated anything like this, like, say, a parent just kind of asking you, about their situation like i mean obviously you're talking about the four-year-old they've been seeing you for a while do you have yeah other cases like that maybe older children and um i have um um a kid with like a seizure disorder an autistic disorder um he's around 10 years old and um you know we got him on a regimen of both thc and cbd and uh canatol nasal spray if he ever gets a seizure um, you know, I see those cases. Um, a lot of it is the elderly with chronic pain issues. Yeah. Is that the most yeah. common elderly yeah. with chronic pain? And do you see, yeah. what do you, do you see the, the progression of them like feeling better or like, how do you, I mean, um, it's, it's, a mix, it's a mixed bag with the elderly. Yeah. Um, because you know, if they have a family there to help them and support them, you know, it's, it's, much easier, you know, versus when they're living by themselves or living with their equally sick spouse, you know, it, it becomes um, uh, challenging. Um, but yes, uh, I got some elderly patients who um, are able to get off narcotics, get off the benzos and just using that. And there's been some elderly that, you know, it's been very challenging to get the right regimen and the right ratio for them, you know. Because one of the battles that we deal with in medicine and healthcare is that people's expectations often don't jive with the reality. You know, Um, I mean, if you have bad arthritis of the spine that's non-surgical and you're already on narcotics, you know, all the narcotics in the world is not going to change the anatomy, the anatomical defect of that spine. Um, So, yes, cannabinoids can help. But it is not going to make them their pain level zero out of ten. Yeah, they have to have uh, realistic expectations too. Yeah, right. But the problem is, you got a lot of these hucksters out there that is going to acting as if you know CBD or THC is going to do everything to raise your credit score and uh, give you fifteen percent of of Geico. You know. Yeah, it's so true. There's like it's the cure all. It'll it'll do everything. Yeah, you I gotta be realistic with it. I used to, I used to work in the supplement industry, and you, know, you talk about FDA. I mean, supplements have been off label. Yeah, off label forever. Every time somebody talks to you about supplements, you have to give them the disclaimer. You know, you don't treat your whatever. But I feel like this. If if we ever get to a place, when we ever get to a place, I don't say if, when we get to that place where we're do, saying we're federally legalizing um, the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plants, it's going to be like supplements, I think. You know? 
for a while. Well, ideally, because, it, you know, I do not want the FDA to deschedule it to like a class two, because that means all the dispensaries around the country have to shut down because you got to make an FDA compliant product, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, that would be a disaster for the patients in the system in the different states right now, you know, and um, the problem is, though, that you have too many people making too much money off the prohibition of it that, you know, you're going to have to be dragging and kicking and screaming. You know, um, but, you know, as doctors like myself, Dr. Barry Gordon, Dr. Sue Sisley, you know, we keep um, making, you know, being, uh, discussing it. Um, for example, Obviously, no conferences are happening right now because of the COVID virus. But, um, you know, you're getting more and more cannabis talks at these national medical conferences. You did not see that years ago. You know, that, that's like a, a green unicorn. You know, if you were to say, I want to talk about cannabis. Yeah. Now, at major medical meetings nationally, just somebody's giving a lecture on it. You know, I've given lectures at, for example... Texas Academy of Cannabis Physicians invited me to talk to their annual primary care summit about cannabinoids in primary wow. care in Texas, which is still a prohibition state. And the reason why is the family doctors in Texas are getting bombarded every day with questions from patients about cannabis and CBD. Well, limited amount of CBD is available in Texas. But the neighboring state of Oklahoma has a fully functional medical program, you know, in fact, Oklahoma is a very conservative state. I did my residency there. And they have the most liberal medical cannabis program in the country. There are no qualifying conditions. Only is doctor's discretion. Oh, that's great. So the, they don't have to meet like a certain qualifying condition if the doctor feels this is going to help them. If the doctor feels it's going to help them, it's gonna, and then they can get a card. Describe it. Wow. Can you tell our listeners about the endocannabinoid system? Because that blew my mind when I discovered we had mm-hmm. that. Because I was like, how did we not know about this? This makes so much more sense now, how it can help in so many different ways. Yeah. Well, the endocannabinoid system is this physiologic system in our bodies that um, do a bunch of different things. Number one, its main function is to maintain balance in our bodies. And another thing is Dr. Rafael Meshulam, um, the guy who isolated THC, you know, described the endocannabinoid system as having five basic functions, to eat, sleep, relax, protect, and forget, okay? So if you have a dysfunction in eating, you can overeat, like, um, you know, people with eating disorders, mm-hmm. or if you have anorexia, the opposite, you're not eating at all because you have no appetite, you know? Sleep, you know, if you are um, sleeping too little, that's insomnia. You know, if you're sleeping too much, that could be a whole host of different things, you know. Um, Relax. If your muscles are super, super tight, that's muscle spasms, you know. And if they're too relaxed or not functioning at all, that's diseases like, you know, MS, ALS, and things like that, you know. Protect your immune system. That's what protects you. If your immune system is deficient, it ain't protecting you enough. And that happens to people like transplant patients, HIV patients, 
their immune system is down. But then you have the opposite. You can overprotect, which is your immune system is too active. That's where you get autoimmune diseases from. Okay? Forget. If you're forgetting too much, you know, we call that you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that. If you're not forgetting enough, that's where PTSD comes in. Because one of the protections on PTSD is you forgetting that traumatic event. Okay? So the amnestic properties of the cannabis plant helps with that. You know, yes, it does uh, affect memory in a certain way, but it, it affects it in a good way, especially people with PTSD. That's amazing. Um, in the packet of information that I gave you in my Dropbox uh, account, um, there's two articles there written by Dr. Ethan Russo. And the article is called Cannabinoid um, Endocannabinoid Deficiency Disorder, where basically he theorizes that issues like migraines, irritable bowel syndrome, um, inflammatory bowel disease, um, can is he feels that they're related to a defect or a deficiency within the endocannabinoid system. So when people supplement with outside cannabinoids, trying to restore that in the balance, that's why they experience relief. That's why there is relief in muscle spasms and um, multiple sclerosis. That's why there's relief of pain in fibromyalgia patients, which he also feels is a defect in the endocannabinoid system. You know? My God, that makes so much more sense. <clears throat> that's why people self-medicate with it. And that's why you find people self-medicating with it because they find right. that it, it helps. It's a natural plant that was like we were made for each other almost. Right. I mean, we were, we're genetically wired for this, you know, um, because when um, Dr. Minshum was doing his experiments, and he was trying to figure out, well, if the THC binds to these receptors, then that means there's something that we're making that also binds to those receptors. And that's what led him to find the endogenous produced cannabinoids that we make in our bodies, namely anandamide and 2-AG. Um, so they were doing this using like radio isotope studies in the labs in Israel. And they came up with uh, an endomite and 2-AG, as well as a couple of other endocannabinoids that we make in our bodies. And what THC does, it mimics an endomite and 2-AG by binding onto the receptor. And yeah. CBD acts its own way, not by indirectly working in the cell, doesn't bind directly to the CB1 receptor, but it works indirectly to uh, do a lot of different things amazing yeah, for cbd do you i mean when when do you do you recommend a higher cbd than than let's say thc um let's say if i had an elderly patient who lives by herself and is you know a little bit debilitated doesn't always remember to take her medications um you know the type that takes her blood pressure medication at eight o'clock and then by 11 o'clock she doesn't remember she took the medicine or not so she wants to take it again uh -huh. you know that type of patient yeah i would not trust that patient with thc products yeah okay i would give them probably a cbd only product and that's really the only time i would ever use a cbd only product you know or like if i have a child 
with seizure disorder, I will first start with CBD, but knowing well that I will eventually have to evolve my treatment to include either THC or THCA for that child. Mm-hmm. And most children, how, I mean, I, I, I know that you prescribe it, I guess the I recommend form it. was tincture. I prescribe it, I recommend it. Right. Recommend it, that's correct. I guess most common form that maybe children do it, I guess it depends on the parent, but probably in their food or tinctures or... Yeah, it'll be tinctures. Um, you know, like in the case of my patient with a tumor, they get the concentrates because she needs to take 300 milligrams of THC a day. Yeah. So the concentrates um, give them a better bang for their buck. Yeah. Huh. And then so, but if they have seizures, I also recommend the uh, canitol nasal spray. Um, whereas if they're having a seizure, they can actually spray, spray, you know, two sprays in a nostril to help uh, calm the seizure down. Um, Because each spray is like five milligrams of THC intranasally. That's amazing. When we talk about seizures, I mean, I would do anything to like, to to soothe that because that's, especially some, some, well, some people, not even just kids, have so many seizures that I mean I've seen the the documentary. What's the documentary on Netflix where it's mostly children? The we, we the, we the people. people. Yeah. Yes. Pretty amazing. Oh, exactly. You know, and these kids are benefiting from it, and it is you know prolonging their life. Um, you know, the the problem we have with pediatric cancer issues is that all the research goes for the adults. Mm-hmm. There isn't that many research on pediatric cancer cases. So what they wind up doing is using the adult treatment off-label and scaling it down to the kid. Wow. You know, so, but I'll tell you what, though. More and more oncologists are actually coming around and understanding about the role cannabis plays other than Marinol. Um, and, um, you know, I have had quite a few referrals from oncologists. Good. I think yeah. more physicians need to come around to it. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, um, their doctors are not allowed to recommend cannabis, okay? But they'll openly refer uh, those patients to the cannabis doctors in the Tampa area. Mm-hmm. So you're a primary physician, but you also have the ability to give the recommendation. Yes. So you see, and it's a family practice, so you see from children to adults, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very funny story how the whole thing became a recommendation and why it's not a prescription. You know, it all started in 1996 in California when California passed uh, Prop 215, which legalized medical cannabis. Um, this was during the Clinton administration and, um, Clinton and his health and human service secretary, Donna Shalala threw a hissy fit. Um, Donna Shalala was out there threatening doctors licenses if they prescribed cannabis. So what they did was they took her to court and, um, I don't have the exact citation on me with the court case. I'll look that up, but, um, Oh, Conant versus Walters. That's the case. I remember. Conant, Conant versus Walters, uh, where the judges, the federal judge established that doctors have First Amendment, free speech rights to recommend anything we want 
uh, even though we may not be able to go prescribe something, uh, we can recommend the treatment we want because that's our First Amendment rights as physicians. So that's why this cannabis became a recommendation, not a prescription. Ah. And now Donna Shalala, I guess, all of a sudden found Jesus when she wanted to run for Congress. <laughs> she changed her tune 180. 180. <laughs> yeah. 180. Yeah, it's in her favor. Yeah. I think a lot of people are starting to come around to it. Yeah. Little little. I'm still understanding. I'm still trying to figure out how is it that uh, the people in Miami-Dade, especially near Miami Lakes area, elects Jose Oliva to the House. Or the people in, um, um, what's that, uh, Ostero mm -hmm. vote for J Joe Rodriguez, no, sorry, Ray Rodriguez, to the Senate, and he's working against the will of the people. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would the people vote to put those guys in office? There's still a lot of conservative people here in Florida that yeah. are anti-pot, like a lot, a lot of people. So I, I see I see and hear it all the time, and that's why we're so, like, have to be discreet about it because of the stigma, because if, oh, if they knew we spoke pot, they would see us completely different. We're no longer a reliable employee. You're no longer a good mom. You're no longer, you, now you're somebody that's- Oh yeah, send, send the person that has two glasses of wine and pots Xanax for their nerves. Yeah, exactly. Like pot on kettle black. I want to ask you another question too, because I, I know that when it comes to um, cannabis, you know, like we were talking before, it's not just one type, one thing. How do you kind of come up with maybe like um, a suggestion on how much they should take? Do you, do you even do that? I mean, is it up to the... Um, yes. Well, when we evaluate patients on how to dose them properly, we got to take into account a lot of factors. A... Um, prior experience with cannabis. Um, you know, what am I trying to treat? What are the treatment goals? You know, like, for example, if you have a cancer patient who just wants to treat the chemo-associated nausea and vomiting, that's a certain, like, low-dose protocol that we can work with. But if they say, no, I want to take advantage of the anti-tumoral effects of cannabinoids off-label, uh, then they would have to be on a high-dose protocol. So, y'all, there's multiple factors. One of the tools that we use, uh, and I did not come up with this, my good friend, Dr. Barry Gordon, uh, who runs the Compassion Cannabis Clinic in Venice, Florida, came up with this. He came up with what's called the Doobie Scale. And that's a scale that we grade patients on based on their previous use of cannabis. For example, a Doobie 1 would be by a 93-year-old grandmother who never touched it her entire life, okay? The, the naive patient who never touched it before. Doobie twos are the ones that says, well, I did it in high school, I did it in college, I haven't done it in 20 years, okay? Doobie threes, I call them weekend warriors. They don't do nothing during the week, but on the weekend, they'll partake in order to relax. Mm -hmm. Doobie fours are your Snoop Dogg, your Willie Nelson, your Cypress Hill from Be Real, um, your, um, <laughs> you know, that's a doobie four. The reason why it's important is, let's say you got a 10 milligram product, Okay, if I give it to my grandma, it'll probably freak her out. She'll probably think that the plantanos are coming after her. Okay, but that same 10 milligram isn't going to touch Willie Nelson mm -hmm. or right. Snoop Dogg. 
Okay, they're like, it's not gonna barely affect them. So, or that veteran that came back from Afghanistan and has been smoking every day because he has PTSD. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that should do before also. You're gonna have to use a higher dose in these guys, you know? And then um, for the elderly, I would like to mix it with a one-to-one, -one, start with the one-to-one -one ratio of THC to CBD because the CBD balances the more psychotropic effects of the THC. And the CBD also does its thing when it comes to alleviating uh, pain and things like that in conjunction with THC. So I like to start very low and go slow with the elderly, like maybe two and a half milligrams of a tincture that's balanced one-to-one and then advance the dose from there, titrate upward till they reach their individual sweet spot where they get the best relief. Not everybody's going to have that same sweet spot. I love CBD THC ratio products. I love, love, love them. I, I, yeah. Um, and um, so, you know, like I said, they have seizures. We'll, we'll talk about using the nasal spray. You know, if they have, um, you know, uh, something going on in the rectum, you know, I would suggest suppositories to treat rectal, certain rectal disorders. But I don't really uh, like suppositories as a delivery method because it's not absorbed. It's meant to be used for local inflammation in the rectal area, but don't take a suppository thing that's going to uh, get in your system. We've heard of women using suppositories vaginally for cramps. Yes, and that works actually. Yes, because the tissue structure, what we call the histology of the vaginal area is different than the histology of the rectal area. You know, um, so yes. Uh, cannabinoid um, uh, suppositories can be used in cases of uh, pelvic pain, um, menstrual pain. Interestingly enough, when Dr. William O'Shaughnessy, a British physician, first brought back cannabis plants from India to England back in the 1800s, he was Queen Victoria's doctor, and he actually used cannabinoids to treat her menstrual cramps and her migraines. Mm -hmm. That's what I use it for, that, for yeah. my anxiety. <laughs> Uh, seriously and uh, you know what back in the day when I I mean I would get brutal 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 cramps I always thought to myself man would this would this work like would that be able to be done and here we are and it's a thing it's amazing yes yeah um but that's why you know we rely on the boots on the ground activists like yourselves to keep your voices loud, keep your voices heard. Let the, everybody in the community know because people are just now coming out the closet, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, we want to get rid of all the closets. <laughs> no more closets. Now it's just bathrooms that moms hide in whenever they need to use the bathroom and also get some mom time. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, now I remember seeing this um, segment on NBC Morning uh, Show where they talk about, you know, weed moms are the new wine moms. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it was a very good um, physician, Dr. Tiffany Sizemore, who I actually coached the night before she went on the show. Huh? And I gave her the talking points. I said, listen, this is what you need to say, because I had to talk about the difference between indica and sativa on the show. And she gave my talking points about, you know, when you give indica, being in the couch, you know. In the couch. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, um, so you know, I, I, I was very pleased with her, her performance on the show. She was sitting into a psychiatrist who obviously didn't know very much about cannabinoids, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love how sometimes a lot of people don't know much about it, but they have very opinionated views about it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, remember, because we've been suffering from 82 years of um, basically lies. And it's lies that are based on the vested interests of opposing industries. Uh-huh. It had nothing to do with, quote, the children or science although they were claiming that it would make Mexicans go and rape everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it'll make white women lust after Negroes. Mm-hmm. Especially those jazz musicians. Oh, my. Those jazz men. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, but I'm glad we're able to have conversations like these now and have you, someone like you on our show, we were, for, for ages, we wanted to get a doctor on here to kind of give us his perspective, your perspective, and all the information. I mean, I could sit here all day just asking you questions and being like, <laughs> what about this? What about that? Um, yeah. If we have questions from our listeners, would you be... Tell me more. Yeah. yeah. You're stuck. You know, the, the patients, you know, when they leave my office, they leave my office information handouts so easy information to be educated as well too if doing is coming in and i'm saying okay got this well here's your recommendation have a nice day i'm not really doing a service to the patient and i've had quite a few patients come to me that said that well when they went to their previous doctor and when they asked okay well what do i do how many do i take and the doctor told them to ask the dispensary you know, and that kind of floored me. Told them to ask the dispensary. Yeah, I do not want Abuela walking out of the dispensary with the damn concentrate. For real. Okay. For real. I mean, Abuela's gonna get wigged out if she messes with that concentrate, and she's a doobie one. <laughs> she's a doobie. She's like dabbing granny. That lady's that lady's lung capacity is very. She's a doobie four. He's a five. That lady's a five. Have you seen Dabbing Granny? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and also Miss Magic Shadow Fairy. She's the Dabbing Granny of Canada. Oh, I'm going to have to check her out. I haven't seen yeah. her. Oh, I'll give you, I'll send you a link to her, 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 um, her page. <laughs> Definitely. Miss Magic Shadow Fairy is hilarious. Yeah, well, I want to check her out. If you, so if our listeners have any further questions, would you, would you be willing to come back on our show? Sure. <laughs> you can go field questions from different people about different um, things. And then, you know, guy can be on your show and then you can ask you those questions, you know, and that's I, fine. Um, you know, one thing I also want to make sure that we emphasize that I do not promise anybody ever 100% results. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, it may not it work. It may not work. But the one thing I do promise everybody is safety. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to put you in the hospital. It's not going to cause you to go crazy. You know, now, if you are, if you have a bipolar disorder and you go hit a sativa, yes, you can go into a manic phase from that. You know, you got to be careful what strain you use if you have underlying bipolar disorder or if you have an anxiety disorder, PTSD. 
I prefer them use indicas. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm an indica person for that reason. Right. But now if you have a fibromyalgia patient with a little bit of depression because of a chronic pain, you know, a sativa may be beneficial to maybe give a little bit of that lift or a hybrid or a sativa leaving hybrid. You know, you just got to try different things with the patient because it's so individualized, each dosing regimen. Oh, it's not like I'm dosing metformin. Yeah. Do you guys take Florida Blue? <laughs> I'm looking for a new primary physician. <laughs> um, is it through the exchange? No, it's through my my um employer. Oh yeah, that we take. <laughs> so if you want to make an appointment, uh, Captain J, you can call nine five four doctors, right? Yep. So the easiest number to remember: nine five four doctors. Nine five four doctors. And then if you want to reach out to Dr. McKenzie on Facebook, he is facebook.com uh, forward slash michael.j.mckenzie.3. We'll go ahead and we'll also post his information up for us. Um, thank you so much. You are just a wealth of information and you have a really, I'm just kind of speechless. I honestly, I'm, I would, I can't wait to listen to our show back because so much information uh, beautifully put by you. Thank you so much. We look forward to um, continuing our relationship with you and having you on um, further shows. Thank yeah, you. Anything y'all need, let me know. Thank you so much. And um, thank you guys for, for listening or watching because we're on YouTube now. Uh, you can always hit us up. You know where? Pot Smoking Moms. Uh, Instagram is Sure Bet. TikTok is also... When this is all over, let's all link up with uh, Jennifer and uh, grab some sushi or something. Yeah. Sure. I mean... In I real life. <laughs> are going to be so excited to be around people and not like six feet away from each other or miles away from each yeah. So really that's something yep. everybody's looking forward to. I really, I really can't wait to, to be in the room with people again one day. <laughs> but in the meantime, everybody be safe. Uh, you guys take care of yourselves. Dr. Mike, take care of yourself. I know you put your uh, take care on a daily basis so thank you for that and thanks so much for for joining us everybody have a great uh great week thank you bye wash your hands wash bye your bye hands. stay safe everybody